This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling for that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. Mm-hmm. To all my peoples in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock to my tape cock. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on pop snap. Way back when I had the red That was the great Biggie there. Biggie Smalls on Juicy there back in 93. What's going on? This is your host, Sebi, here on the Sebi Podcast Show, right here streaming on WNSC Radio. Again, with my main man, Michael Gray, on the hotline with us, filling in for Jared, our co-host. What's going on, Michael? Hey, what's going on, Sebi? Thank you for having me. Now, welcome to have you back on the show here. Uh, You're probably too young to know who Biggie Smalls was, were you? (laughs) <laughs> Come on, man! Not at all. Not at all. We, we, didn't grow up, we didn't grow up in his era, but you know, we grew up. Our parents continuously played it when we was younger, so we definitely familiar. We definitely familiar. We're familiar with it. Absolutely, a living icon. Biggie was there. And, and speaking of the King of Brooklyn, you know, we can't speak about Biggie being the King of Brooklyn because he's pretty much deceased. Uh, it, it seems as if that D'Angelo Russell Ooh, and the Brooklyn man. Nets, winners of eight of their last. 10 games and one of the hottest teams in in the association right now have just climbed from from 14 as in dead last in the east they've climbed from 14 to six they're currently the sixth seed in the east what a turnaround uh, uh, with him and guys like spencer dinwiddie and and jared allen boy he blocks everything in front of him Uh, so uh, what what can you attribute to just the turnaround in brooklyn and and all of a sudden, D'Angelo uh, taking uh, a Biggie's place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if D'Angelo could do that, but he's definitely doing his thing out there in Brooklyn. Um, one of the things is he's finally healthy, uh, Sebi. Like, like over the over the years, he's even when he was in LA, he was constantly and, and could never. It was hard for him to play a full season, but he showed flashes of, of potential, flashes that this is what he can do. And he's finally started. He's been healthy all season. He's finally starting to put it all together. He, a closer, he can score from anywhere. He was in that. This is why he was the number two overall pick. This is the reason why, why um, the why, why the Lakers took him at number two because he he's a flat out baller. He's a machine. He can score on you with any. He's a he he's a lefty, but he can score on you with the left, the right, at the rim. And he he's and he's clutch too. So it, he's been balling. The team has been balling, but the success yeah, the success isn't just with him. It's this team, man. This is a. This is a, a a team that doesn't really have any superstars, and they don't have the big flashy coach or anything like that. But they play together and they play hard. They have a team full of of, of motivated players that are ready, that are determined to turn this city around and and and, and do their thing. And I've noticed that with a lot of leagues, with a lot of teams over the, around the NBA this year, is a lot of the teams that don't have superstars but they have hungry players that that work hard and play hard every day. Your record is going to be you're in you're going to be in the playoff hunt and and competing for a playoff spot because you just you bring you bring so much to the table every single day and in, 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 in a league where a lot of a lot of teams take take nights off well i'm glad that you brought that up because uh you have spencer dinwiddie you have jared allen you have some key components there but you don't have kind of like you say the marquee man like the closer right. or, or a, a, an elite player or like a top 10 top five player that they have they're relying on D'Angelo Russell right now, who's scoring 19.2 points a game and uh, over 44% uh, percent, um, on the field shooting. And, and, and just some other requisite weapons, as in players, they don't have that core nucleus play that they can say, they can, hey, deliver us and, and take us to the promised land. Right. And, and, and I, I'm glad that you said that because uh, they, they do seem hungry to me. And they are a little dark horse. I don't think they'll make any noise in the playoff. But moving on forward, for things to come, I think that the Nets have positioned themselves in a very peculiar place. And here's why: uh, we all know New York is a is a is the market. You know, New York and, and and LA. That's that's like the two marquee markets in America. Yeah. A lot of people have been talking about the 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 Knicks as a potential landing spot for free agents and and rightfully so you know you've got the big apple the garden right uh, that's the holy sanctuary the mecca of basketball Absolutely. but uh, uh, what i do think is 
Brooklyn is also in New York. And Brooklyn also has a lot of cap space and a lot of cap room to perhaps get two free agents, two big marquee free agents um, in this upcoming summer with a load of talents. We're talking the Kyries, the Kawhis, the KDs, perhaps the Clay Thompsons of the world, the Kimball Walkers. So um, this is a, a, a free agency this summer that's loaded with, we're talking like top 25 talent across the board. And so I think that the Brooklyn Nets have shown that, hey, the culture has changed here in Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? We, we've got a competent coach here that, that, that has galvanized the troops. And we have key pieces that we feel as if that we are just a couple pieces away and maybe one or two big free agents that come here to the Barclays Center in Jay-Z's backyard can perhaps uh, 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 make us contenders in the Eastern Conference. That's a that's a great point. I didn't even look at it that way, but that's a great point because you're right. A lot, a lot of the teams, especially on ESPN and in the media, a lot of the um, a lot of the, a lot of the analysts have been talking about uh, um, a landing spot in New York as as the Knicks because, like you said, the Garden and stuff. They don't really bring up Brooklyn as a potential landing spot because of their previous history, and it, it just it just it was a it just didn't seem like a, a good fit for other teams. But now, like the the way they're playing. The way D'Angelo Russell is playing, he's only what 22, 23. He, right. he's, he's young, so they they under they under they see a player like that, and you, you know you might find a small forward out there or a shooting guard, a free agent, where they might say, "Oh, I want to play with this guy. I, I can help this team get to the next step, get to the next level." So you're right that Brooklyn is definitely marketing themselves well. They're definitely putting on, and they're they're, they're turning it they're turning this franchise around. This was a franchise, as you well know, that we used to look at them and we used to con. con Consist that they they were continuously get that number one pick every single year. They would they would be in battles with the Cleveland Brown, Cleveland Cavaliers, excuse me, about who would get that number one pick. And you, we see now that Brooklyn is making some noise, man. They, they they have some winners on this team. They have some hungry, motivated players, a great coaching staff, and they and they they've been balling lately. I've I've been paying attention to them. They've been balling lately. They don't get as much headlines. Um, they don't get it uh, for their wins as other teams, but they they've they've been making noise. And it's, I know it's early, but I want to see how long this is going to last for them. Definitely. And I think they really learned from uh, the 2013 tra- uh, trade when oh, they tra- yeah. traded three <laughs> first-rounders for KG, yes. Jason Terry, and Paul Pierce. So right. They definitely uh, turned turn that around, and the uh, franchise has been in dis- misery there as well. And then when we, when we look at the other news around the NBA um, swirling, you've got Carmelo going to the Bulls yep. um, for, for cash allocations. We're not sure if he's going to stay. Um, I've heard speculations that perhaps he may not even play a minute. Um, so uh, what's your take on that there? And then Clay Thompson last night, um, just how unconscious he is. Uh, you know, I've said, I've always said that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter I've ever seen. No disrespect to uh, Reggie Miller or Ray Allen. I think that I would take them over Curry as in terms of spot up shooter, but I've never seen a shooter that can spot up and take you off the dribble like Steph Curry. But we, we have to put Clay Thompson because to me, he's in, He's in the conversation with his splash brother and Steph Curry as one of the greatest shooters the game's ever seen. I think they're already the best shooting backcourt of all time. But people tend to forget because Curry gets all the headlines. Clay Thompson is a bona fide scorer and a prolific shooter that the game's ever seen. I mean, his shot is generic based. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable what he does um, coming off screens. And so... Um, the plays of Clay Thompson and now Boogie returning to the Warriors. What does this mean uh, for the Western Conference and perhaps the league? Oh, oh, oh! Well, e- even before Boogie, before Boogie returned, I was never worried about the Warriors. The Warriors are loaded, but but now that Boogie is back, I mean, Sebby, I don't know about you, but when I watched the game on Friday against the Clippers when he returned, and I saw all five of those starters, I said, "Wow, this is absolutely unfair." This is that they're gonna run away with the NBA. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Anybody in the Western Conference that can compete with them, and I don't see anybody in the Eastern Conference that'll knock them off in the finals. I I think they will. I think the this with Clay doing it, like like you said, they have the best shooting backcourt in the game easily right now. But but obviously, possibly in history, when Steph, we we always used to say this when it comes to the Warriors, when Steph is on, and Katie is, we all know what Steph and Katie are gonna do. But when Clay is hitting like that last night, along with what Steph and Katie are bring to the table, it's 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 unfair. You you can't be. It's impossible to beat this team. 
You you can't be. And then you have you have they showed up their weakness because the Warriors missed JaVale McGee last year more than more than people give him credit for because JaVale McGee was that big man, but he was a hustler and he continues to get boards and rebounds. It was a paint presence. They didn't have that in the beginning of the season with Jarrett Cole and uh, a couple of the other big men. They had Jordan Jordan Bell and, and others. So Boogie actually shored up the weakness on this team. So now you look at it from top to bottom, outside of the bench, where's their weakness? They, I, don't, I don't really see a weakness for this team. And with those five starters, you don't really need a you don't you don't need a, a bona fide bench with those five starters because because they're going to take you to the promised land on their own. Absolutely, and and you you go you look at it across the board. That that's five all stars on one team. It's unbelievable <laughs> what they've done. You you can compare them to a dream team. I don't think they're that much uh, uh, better than the, the dream team, but um, it, it's just unbelievable what they can do. And and what I see in this Golden State team with Boogie coming back is you, you hit on a good point. Uh, JaVel McGee um, was a big piece last year in what they did in their interior in, uh, for this team. And now they kind of solidified that because now I see versatility. I see that yeah. they can beat you above the arc. They can play finesse, but they can also play big bully with, you know, and send Boogie in the block and say, hey, go get us a bucket. And so th- that right there, um, I think now that gives – um, this it becomes a chess match for Steve Kerr. You know, he has the versatility of putting Boogie in the block, putting Boogie out wide and shooting threes, and it's just going to be a matchup nightmares for for teams to 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 deal with. Um, they they play my my Celtics on Saturday night, so not I not can't a wait for that one. You know, Kyrie, uh, you know, Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie is my favorite player. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> Absolutely, there. But but moving on forward, the Warriors are just going to be a handful to deal with. Boogie Cousins. Um, if you really think about it, they've got four of the top 25 players in the NBA yeah. on the same team. Yeah. It's it's remarkable to think about. Um, so it, a lot of great news in, in the NBA. And we know what Denver is doing out there in the Western Conference as well. Um, Damian Lillard quietly has his Blazers blazing hot as a third yep. seed in the in the Western Conference. Not a lot of recognition there. Yep. Um, any Anything else that stand out to you? Uh, like like you said, the Blazers. I, I I was actually going to say them because they they've swept under the radar because they didn't start off the season as well as I thought they would. But they've they've gotten healthy and they're starting to find their stride and and they're and they're, and they're, they're definitely making noise. Um, the Clippers are, are a team that that we, we shouldn't sleep on. They, they they started off great, but they hit a little slump. But I feel like Doc Rivers and them will figure it out uh, as as time goes on and stuff. But uh, but back to the Carmelo Anthony trade to the Bulls. Um, Honestly, yeah, I, I I don't think he's gonna play not one. I don't think he's gonna play one minute in Chicago. I think um, I saw a report yesterday that the Lakers were interested in Melo. It's a possibility he might go to play with LeBron. And um, I yeah, want that's I, friends, I, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're very close. They off the court as well, and they've they've been like that forever. And I want to I want to see Le, I want to see Carmelo back in the league. I really do because he he still has it. He still has. His game, he still can can produce for a team. And he still can make things happen in the right position. Um, he he's not a he's not washed up. He's not a scrub. He he's still he's still one of the best offensive scorers in the game. I I, I want to see him in the perfect position, and and possibly playing with LeBron might be his best chance right now. Absolutely. Well, the thing with Melo is 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 that um he he's always been the alpha dog since Syracuse, since Oak Hill in in high school. This is a guy right. that's a bona fide scorer. Um over 25,000 points in the NBA history. So he's going to go down as, as a Hall of Famer. And okay. he's never played in a role where, you know, he, ha- he has to accept that, hey, he's not the same mellow no more. He, he has to contribute off the bench. And I think that's been a struggle and a difficulty for him, not uh, um, owning up to that and saying that, hey, that I can come off the bench and I can perhaps help a contender, whether it be in the East Coast or in the, in the Western Conference, reach a championship. And so I think that adapting to that has been the hardest transition for Melo. Um, but I, I would thoroughly agree with you there. The, the Bulls don't want Melo. I mean, they have the core nucleus and the pieces that they have as well. And so I do think that his best landing is is Los Angeles or perhaps China um, or the Man Brothers don't have to retire. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree because because it just, it just doesn't – it just doesn't – it's something that he's not used to and it's something that, that quite frankly um, – he has to get you right. He has to get used to that at this point because he's not that. He he wants to play on a championship. He wants to win a championship at this point in his career. He wants to win a title, and playing with the Chicago Bulls is not going to get that done anytime soon. So I I understand he wants to go to a contender, but going to a contender might mean you're right. You have to even if you don't come off the bench, 
even if even if you are in the starting role, you gotta understand. Depending on what team you go to, yeah, limited minutes. Yeah, limited minutes. You gotta understand. You're not that guy anymore. But just find your role and master it. Master your role because Melo is still a great player in this league. But there was something that Allen Iverson had a tough time uh, dealing as well with in his career. He had a tough time uh, coming to coming to his own and agreeing with the fact that I'm not that guy anymore. I need to accept a different role. So I think Melo falls in that same spot and. We'll see, man. I, I hope he's on a. Uh, I hope they find somewhere to, to trade him by February seventh deadline. I hope. I hope he's on the team, man. I, I'm wishing the best for him. And of course, we definitely hope the best wishes for Carmelo Anthony finding a landing spot here in the NBA. When we come back, Michael and I share our weekend observation time on conference championship weekend. You're Ooh. listening to the Sevy Podcast Show here on WNSC Radio. Welcome those of you again inside of our broadcast booth here on the Sevy Podcast Show. Myself, Michael Gray, uh, the product of Virginia, King of Virginia, filling in for Jared Rojas. <laughs> there for you. Weekend observation time. Weekend observation time. We go into the Superdome a decade after the Saints reached their first conference championship in 2009 by Greg Williams and that vaunted defense of the Saints and bounty scandal. Ten years later, the Saints hosting yet another conference championship at home in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Breeze, Goff, Kamara, Gurley, Sean McVay, Sean Payton. Stars everywhere inside the dome. But in the end, missed calls, poor officiating, enabling the Rams, perhaps, going to their fourth franchise Super Bowl in franchise history. The Rams behind Jared Goff making big plays. Brandon Cooks over 100 yards receiving. Great contributions from their defense. Up front with Aaron Donald and Donovan Sue. And great plays from Marcus Peters and Tlaib in the back end. The Rams and not the Saints leaving the Superdome heading into Atlanta. What was your reaction there, Mike? It was a beautiful game, Sebi. It was a great game. It was from start to bottom. I mean, it was just you could tell these were clearly the two best teams in the NFC. My takeaway from this game, I know a lot of people want to um, point to that call in the fourth quarter and say that, uh, you know, that cost the Saints the game. I don't believe that cost the Saints the game, Sebby. I'm going to tell you what. The the Rams, Jared Goff, the Rams offense couldn't do anything in the first quarter. They, they started off slow. The, the, the Saints continuously moved the ball. But the Saints on their first two possessions were held to field goals by the Rams. When it could when it could have been 14-0, it was 6-0. Jared Goff threw that interception at Demario Davis, and they went, they were in scoring position to score a touchdown. And I was saying to myself, oh man, this game is about to be over. Just, just like that. But the Rams held strong. They handled adversity very well in that game. Every time they were hit, uh, New Orleans would come here with something, they would respond right back with a haymaker. Um, they, at the end of the first quarter, they were up 13-0 when they could have been up 21-0. Uh, 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 the play calling, the play calling got passive aggressive from Sean Payton. Um, for after the first quarter, throughout the rest of the game, it was pretty. It was pretty passive aggressive. It wasn't. Drew Brees wasn't as accurate as we normally see him. And let's and we and to be honest with you, we got to give a lot of credit to this Rams team, man. This this team, this defense especially, got shellacked in the first uh, matchup when they played in week um, and in the regular nice. season. They they gave up 45 points to Drew Brees and this offense did just about whatever they wanted to do. And the main, the, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway. With this defense, this Rams defense, the turnaround was in the first game, the Saints were five for five in the red zone with scoring touchdowns. In this game on Sunday, they were two for five. They they scored two they were two for five in scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So the so the, the, the Rams were able to limit them. Um they they, they were able, they gave us some yards, but they were able to, 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 to tighten up when it got close. And they, they they were the more physical team. They they um they, Jared Goff, after he got the fourth first quarter jitters out, out, and he he was able to settle in and get the communications right with uh, Sean McVay. That's when he started to turn up. They got Brandon Cooks involved. That last touchdown drive by the Rams on um, before the half that made that cut the lead from 13-3 to 13-10. 
was big for Jared Goff because he was able to find Cooks, was able to get in the rhythm, was able to get, and then it carried into the third quarter, into the fourth, and that's why um, on that last drive, they was able to make it happen because Jared Goff was just, he was comfortable by that point. And I got I to gotta give it to Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, Dante Fowler, all the, and Akeem Talib was a big difference as well for the defense because he matches up with Michael Thomas, and he's a big body receiver. He's a big body. He's a big corner that that got physical with him. He held Michael Thomas to four catches for 36 yards. So that that was my takeaway from this game. This game was more about the Rams and their ability to be physical with the Saints and their their ability to make the plays. Yes, it was a bad. It was a bad call. It was a lot of missed calls in that game. It was a missed face mask call on the drive before on Jared Goff. Um, that, that wasn't called when they was at the goal line. They held him to three. So it was a lot of missed calls in that game that we could say this, and, and that, that we could say may, may have turned the game around. But all in all, I think the Rams came in and they were the they were the better team on Sunday. They were the more physical team and they got the job done. I, 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 I great points there, and I agree with you. But one, one thing that really stood out to me is um, Jared Goff, the younger quarterback. Sean McVay, only 31 years old, your youngest co- coach actually currently in the NFL. And and I have to say that Sean McVay actually outcoached Sean Payton in that game. And you it's hit some is. key points there. You hit some key points there, and here's why. They were down 13-3. I think that was pivotal and imperative that they get that touchdown right before halftime because that gave um, uh, Jared Goff the confidence coming in after halftime to perhaps get that offense going because early on you saw the crowd noise you saw the storm getting loud and really affecting young Jared Goff because he hadn't been in that moment um the, the Rams and and Jared Goff and Sean McVay haven't hadn't been in that moment right there and sometimes when young teams go into that Superdome it can become overwhelming when the crowd gets into it and and make it abysmal for you to even hear or make any signal calls and so it was huge getting that play and and overtime uh before halftime per se now right. coming after halftime I think the Saints dominated they outscored them 16 to 10 obviously Johnny Hecker the game-winning uh field goal 57 yards and we got to talk about him that's a rifle um, but yeah. and and you can say anything about the officiating. Yes, there were poor calls. Yes, um, you know they they didn't get a lot of stuff. There were a lot of hand tangling and things like that. But you know what I credit? I credit the players that they bought in. We all know that LA, LA is 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 the big market. They they're the flashy franchise. They buy all free agents. What did they do uh, throughout this offseason? They go out and get a Kintilly. They right. go out and get Marcus Peters. They go out and get Indonikin Sue. You already have the prize man in the middle and in Don and, and Aaron Donald um creating havoc and blowing up everything and throwing people like ragdolls inside. And and so what Wade Phillips did is because he knew on the first time they played in week nine, Michael Thomas had 12 receptions for 211 and two TDs and said, you know what? Talib didn't play first time. Okay. So I'm gonna get a big and a strong and a physical corner that can match up with 6'4", uh, Michael Thomas on the outside. And I'm going to put him on him in press coverage and see what he does and see if he can adapt to that. So I credit the Rams for adapting. I credit the Rams for adjusting from first half to second half, and Sean McVay did. But before we talk about this more, I want to go ahead and, and hear uh, Sean Payton's post-game uh, recap about some of the poor officiating. Let's take a listen here to the coach of the New Orleans Saints. Well, the phone of the league office. They blew the call, and uh, there were a lot of opportunities, though. But that call puts it first and 10. We're on an E3 place, and it's a game-changing call. And that's where it's at. So it's disappointing. Credit to the Rams. They made enough plays, though. They won the game. The kicker made some big kicks. But for a call like that not to be made, man, it's just hard to swallow. And then to get a phone call. Someone turn that off a little bit. Anyway, so what do you do? You get you get back up and start um, going to work. This will be a tough one for these players, for the coaches. And again, uh, Rams did a great job. It was a well-fought game, hard, hard-fought game. But that was Sean Payton, very emotional on the podium there um, on Sunday evening after his Saints lose their first ever postseason home loss 
in that dome in franchise history at home. Um, and, 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 I, and I feel for Sean Payton. Of course, you know, that the, the poor officiating is right. We understand these refs have been inconsistent for the you know, past couple years now. But you can't attribute that for the entire game because there was well over 50 plays that the Saints had. You can't just put the game on those two plays. Yes, they were critical plays that could have changed the turn of events on the outcome. But you got to admit, Sean McVay, for all of the scrutiny that he's had being the coach of the Rams, he has really stepped up and has embraced the media of L.A. and he's thrived in it. Yep, he sure has. He sure has, man. And I feel, I feel for Sean Payton and I feel where Saints fans are coming from because he's right. Or that when I said when I saw it live, I said, "Wow, they didn't call that play, they didn't call that flag." But if they did, the game would have been over in that in that moment because, like you said, the Rams had just used their second timeout. They only had one timeout remaining, and it was like a minute and some change left. You get them first and goal, you take three knees, run the clock down, the game is over on the game when the field goal. So I right. I, I sympathize. I don't normally like to say that calls uh, uh, blame games on calls and the refs and calls and stuff like that. But in that instance, I understand where Saints fans are coming from because that call just well determined the game. So, but and but like but like we were saying earlier, there's so many components, man. The Saints were too passive aggressive. They weren't aggressive on the play calling the offense. They didn't they didn't stomp on the Rams early when they had a chance to. They gave them life. They gave them hope. So it's a lot of it's a lot of components into that, man. But it's, I do feel for Sean Payton because of how they went out last year with the Hail Mary, the Stephon Diggs in Minnesota, and what happened this. What happened this year with the no Yeah, it call. seems like bad luck. Yeah, it just seems like <laughs> look, luck hasn't been on their side lately. So, you know, I, I do feel for Sean Payton, but I wouldn't blame the loss on that one call. It was it was plenty, like you said, it was 50 plays for Saints. It was plenty of plays that they could have made that they were left on the field and opportunities that they left. And the Rams capitalized. Like you said, that that field, that 57 yard field goal was a big, that was a clutch field goal. That was a big time field goal. And I would say that's the most clutch field goal since um, uh, Adam Vinatieri for the Patriots back in the, in the postseason. I would say that. Got you. That that was that was a that, that was that was a big time kick, man. Because every everything's on the line, and you're on the road. That crowd noise, they they iced you. Uh, that was that was a that was a big time kick, man. And, and after the game, I, I I came back saying, you know what? The Rams deserved this game. They really did because when you watch the whole game, they they really they did their thing. They balled out, and I love this defense because their defense is finally healthy. Like you said, Akeem Talib was out for some games. Uh, Roby Coleman was out for a few games, and Marcus Peters was the number one corner for majority of the time. And uh, every, everybody's finally healthy now. And, and this defense, top to bottom, all eleven players are are a legitimate threat. Are scary. This is a this is a this is the defense that we looked at on paper in the beginning of the season and said, "Wow." They're going to the Super Bowl, and here we are. Absolutely there. Indeed. The Rams going back to the Super Bowl, and I know YG was so thrilled about that there. Weekend observation time. (laughs) Weekend observation time. The New England Patriots, a record, nice appearance in the Superdome. Think about this. Tom Brady has more Super Bowl appearance than all 31 other franchises in the NFL. Patriots going into Arrowhead in Kansas City. Barbecue city, sniffing everywhere, a hostile environment. Perhaps there's no other loud environment uh, in the NFL than Arrowhead. Noise going everywhere. Perhaps another 12th man on the field, Brady, and his veteran leadership and veteran team and the Patriots going to Arrowhead, a place that Tom Brady's unfamiliar and hasn't had great success against. Tom Brady and the Patriots early run the football. Michelle White. Burkhead running wild and embarrassing and imposing their will inside the trenches of the Chiefs. And then Patrick Mahomes, the chosen one, the young Brett Favre, making plays and bringing his team back. But at the end, the Patriots in overtime. Brady to Edelman. Brady, another conversion to Edelman. Brady to Gronk, a third third down conversion in overtime the Patriots set themselves up they're going to their third consecutive that's right what an accomplishment third consecutive Super Bowl in Atlanta what what, what, what you know there's not enough words in the prolific to, to lament the greatness of Belichick and Brady no it sure isn't they're, they're, they're definitely the greatest especially in the NFL they're, they're definitely the greatest uh, head coach quarterback combo that I've seen in my lifetime 
Uh, they, they've been the most consistent. And uh, they, what they continuously do, they're never out of the game. I, I struggled. I struggled wondering why, during the week, why Kansas City was the favorite. I understand they look, they're the best team on paper. They're, they're the better total team on paper. But this is the AFC Championship. We're talking, we're talking about one game away from the Super Bowl. And, and we know with the playoffs, when it comes to, to the playoffs, they demand your best. And we continuously, year after year after year, get the best out of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick around this time of year. So what do they continuously do? They shut down your number one target on, 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 on defense because Tyreek Hill has one catch for 42 yards. That's it. That's it. They shut him down and they played. They did something that Patrick Mahomes said it in the press conference. They did something. The Patriots did something this year and in this game that no team has done all year long. And that was play bump and run man coverage. They, 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 they got pressure on Mahomes early and they played bump and run man coverage. Got physical with the receivers, threw the timing off a little bit. And, and it showed, man, that they didn't score. This high flying offense, the best offense in football this year, didn't score a point in the first quarter. Um, they, they, I mean, the first half, excuse me. And it, it, they were just out of source. Patrick Mahomes, you could tell he was a little uh, he was a little nervous. He was missing on some throws that he normally makes on a consistent basis. He missed Damian Williams on that, that wheel route touchdown that, that, that could have changed the game. But their offense picked up in the, in the second half. They scored 31 points. Tom Brady with Tom, Tom Brady and the Patriots, the key to the, in that first half, they controlled the clock. They ran the football right. with Sonny Michelle. James White, they controlled the clock. They, 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 the first drive was like eight minutes, I want to say, and they cashed in with touchdowns. Uh, although Brady, the only mistake they had in that first half was Brady throwing that red zone interception to Reggie Wagner. Outside of that, they, they controlled the clock. They played good on great defense. And and in the end, when in the fourth quarter, I mean, <laughs> Kansas City, they scored to make it 28 to 24 with two minutes left. And I was saying to myself, this game is over. Because Tom Brady is still on the other side of the football, and he gets a chance to score with two minutes left. So he goes right. he goes down the field, and he scores, but he left 39 seconds for Patrick Mahomes in this high-flying offense. And in two plays, Sebi, <laughs> two plays, they were in field goal position. And, right. and, and tied That's the game up. And in overtime, the game depended on the game, literally came down to the coin toss because of these rules. The game the game came down to the coin toss. And once the, once the Patriots won the coin toss, I said to myself, this game is over because Tom Brady's going to go right down the field. He's not even going to give Patrick Mahomes a chance to touch the football. He's going to go right down the field. He's going to score a touchdown because it's winning time. You're, you're one drive away from the Super Bowl, and Tom Brady has been in this position far too many times. He was comfortable in the pressure, and I don't I don't think he played one of his best games per se, but he definitely had one of his one of his best moments in the fourth quarter. And, and, and it, it sealed the deal for this team. And 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 you know what, Mike. This is this is astounding to me, what the Patriots have done in this per, almost two decade run. Yeah. The only thing that I can compare to it is perhaps uh, 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 Popovich and Duncan. Um, right. When you compare Brady to Belichick, um, obviously they both got five as well, mm-hmm. and Popovich and Duncan, and the success that they had with the San Antonio Spurs. And I've always said to myself, it's a great comparison to do because. The Saints are, uh, I mean, not the Saints, the Spurs are the class organization in the NBA, just like the Patriots. Um, and they have a Hall of Fame and one, arguably one of the greatest coaches ever in Popovich, along with um, Tim Duncan. And you, same can contrast for Brady and Belichick as well. And that's the only thing I compare to. These guys are unbelievable, man. They, they, they won three other of their first four Super Bowls back in early 2000s. And then now they're going back to their fourth Super Bowl in five years right. as aging quarterbacks. You're telling me that Brady is aged like fine wine from age 37 now to age 41. Winning a MVP at the age of 40. That, that's just astounding to think about. And and this game really to me you hit, you hit on the key points and I'm going to get to them. But this was huge for Tom Brady because here's why Mike. Tom Brady hadn't played a road playoff game since 2006 when Philip Rivers, remember that team? Yep. Philip Rivers, high octane offense, Tomlinson, Gates, Vincent Jackson. You know, they had to go into Qualcomm Stadium and play that game. And obviously they won they won that uh, a game there. But he hadn't played a road postseason game in 13 years. And now that you're right, I, I was unsure how the Chiefs were frankly favored in that game you know Patriots are the more veteran team I know they're on the road yep. I know that the Chiefs are at home and they're 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 really formidable at home but nevertheless 
you know, you got to know what you're up against. This is Brady and Belichick. They've been there and done that. Yep. Andy Reid and the Mahomes have never been here. And what they did is just a masterful game plan early on. And you hit it right on the dot. Mahomes said that the ball, the Patriots had the balls to play them one-on-one. To me, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I would never think about playing Tyreek Hill one-on-one. I'm scared. I call him the cheater. Like, I'm scared of playing this man one-on-one. Bump and grind, you hit him with one move, he's gone. So, I'd be scared to do that. And then you got guys like Sammy Watkins, who's a speedster. And then Travis Kelsey, who's a matchup nightmare for linebackers and safeties. So, I credit the Patriots for having the balls and and. And Brian Flores, who's going to be this, the Dolphins' next head coach, and Bill Belichick being the defensive mastermind, to come up with a game plan and actually come up and get physical in their hands on these chief skills position players. And then, you know, and, and Patrick Holmes, I've always said he's going to be a young Brett Favre, and he's still young. You know, the looks that Patriots, that defensively that they gave him, he is still young and mature, not mature yet to call audibles and change plays because the Patriots were just lining up and saying, hey, we're, we're going to come after you. The heck with um, a lot of teams playing zone and we're letting you throw, um, you know, sidearm balls and, and left-handed passes and just crushing us in the zone. The heck with that. We know what the the odds are. Uh, we're, we're, we know that you can scramble outside of the pocket. The heck with that. We're going to come after you. And I credit the Patriots defensively for doing that. Obviously, Andy Reid, the great magician he is offensively made adjustments they got points coming up but you just knew that coin toss came to the Patriots in overtime Brady he was gonna march down that field and key key to me is the three third downs in overtime mm-hmm. you know one of them could steal the game D Ford I'm not sure why he was lined up offsides that's on him he's gonna be kicking himself for the entire uh, regular season in in you know, off season here uh, about that, but on what what I don't understand, and America knows this. America knows I'm the biggest Tom Brady fan. You guys all know this. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the goat. You know right. what I don't get is scouting report says that Brady's two main targets are Edelman and Gronk. Edelman and Gronk. You know, they're 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 they're, they're feasting over the middle. You got to play them outside the numbers you can't give them the free release and get in position to get inside of the numbers the Chiefs they weren't doing that they weren't doubling Gronk is a robot he's arguably the best tight end in in the game in the last eight to ten seasons like Eric Berry's an all pro safety don't get me wrong but you don't have a strategy and a tactic to just double this guy Brady goes third and seven to Edelman over the middle 39 over the middle to, to Edelman. Third and six, a slant pass to Gronk, setting up Burkhead for a field goal. And so Bob Sutton, as good as he is a defensive coordinator, did not adapt and did not see what was going on. And I credit Josh McDaniels as well, who doesn't get a lot of credit for this. The Patriots are going back to a record ninth Super Bowl in their third straight. And and and, and frankly, it, this has just been a story franchise that's that's been blessed to have Brady and Belichick. They, they sure are, man. They sure and and it was it was some it was some rumors that there was some friction between Brady and Belichick um, throughout the season and last and last year with you know uh, Brady uh, with Belichick not wanting to get rid of Jimmy G and you know all that. Other but stuff. you know what heals all conflicts, Mike. You know what heals all conflicts. Wins, Winning. man. Winning. Winning. And, and yesterday you you saw them getting together and you saw them you saw you saw after the game them both exchanging and saying I love you to each other and I think they truly mean it man I think they I think they truly have real genuine respect for each other because through over the years man and, and and you just don't you just don't let that up and they 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 looked great yesterday they, they it was a hard fought battle against another this Kansas City would team you Patrick say Mar- would you say this is their greatest accomplishment since being together against all, all eyes against Arrowhead against the crowd noise against uh, um, perhaps the hair apparent to Brett Favre the chosen one um, would you say this is their greatest accomplishment together I would have to do some research on that I, w- I don't know if it's their greatest accomplishment but it's definitely an up there in the conversation because they were underdogs in both games of this playoffs and I don't know if they were underdogs against the Chargers but they were definitely they underdogs against the Chiefs and we we rarely see that in the they didn't have that great of a regular season. We're used to the twelve and fours, the thirteen and threes. Uh, obviously, the undefeated year they had one one time, and we're used to those consistent winnings. They 
they were three and five on the road this season. We were, we're not used to, we're not accustomed to seeing that from uh, the Patriots. So um, this this is definitely in the conversation because because of where they were and, and how dominant they looked in the playoffs, especially the first game, and how great Tom Brady has looked uh, these last two games. And if they can cap it off with a Super Bowl, then definitely it's up there in the conversation. But they, they still have a lot of work to do. But right now it's looking pretty good. For it. it definitely can be. If, if they beat this Rams team in the Super Bowl, it definitely can be. Definitely can be as well there. And the stage is set February 3rd in Atlanta inside the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Georgia. The Saints, uh, the Rams per se, will go against the Patriots. Brady looking for his sixth. Sean Payton and his young team looking for their first. And when we come back, Mike and I preview Super Sunday. You're listening to the Sevy Podcast Show here on WNSC Radio. We welcome those of you again inside Studio Z, myself alongside Michael Gray, filling in for Jerry Rojas here, streaming on WNSC Radio. When I think about this matchup here, I think two things, Mike. I think Dynasty and I think pre-Dynasty. Obviously, you've seen the success that the Patriots have had for the last um, two and a, two decades. And, and you think about Jared Goff and McVay and that young and ascending team and the Rams going to their uh, uh, first in quite a while in their fourth in, in franchise history, of course. Um, I think Dynasty and I think pre-Dynasty. And so looking in Super Sunday in two weeks, your initial thoughts of this great game. It's a great matchup, man. It's a, it's a, lot, of, it's a lot of different matchups all over the field. That I, The individual matchups that I, I can't wait to see that will definitely determine the outcome. I like that matchup of Trent Brown, the uh, Patriots. Patriots offensive left offensive tackle going up against Dante Fowler and, and possibly Michael Brockers. I like Aaron Donald inside um, g- g- going up against this Patriots offensive line. I, I feel like those they're going to be the key because you have to stop the run if you're going to beat the Patriots. You cannot give the Patriots a second optional offense of running the football along with what Brady can do because this season they they've been led by their by their running game. Their running game has set up everything in the in the passing game for them. So if, if you let them get off to a, a hot start running the football, let Tony Michelle and James White and Rex Burkhead get, get off to a hot start running the football, that's going to that's gonna make Tom Brady's job that, that much easier in the secondary. But it's, it's, it's going it's gonna to be a great game because this Rams team is physical. They're hungry. They're, they're ready for this matchup. They're ready for this moment. And we'll, we'll see, man, because we'll see what Bill Belichick has up his sleeve because I know he's going to want to take away Brandon Cooks. But if you take away Brandon Cooks, they have so many weapons on the outside. It's like, where, where do you where, where do you where do you try to shut this team down? Because it is, and also it's going to help with if Todd Gurley is healthy, because it was it was clear, it was clear against the Saints that he wasn't 100. percent I mean, he was dropping passes. He was he, you could tell he C.J. Anderson got got the the bulk load of the load in that game. So we'll see how healthy Todd Gurley is because if he can't go at full strength, that's a that's a big loss for them on that side of the ball. But I'm definitely intrigued to see. What it, how the game plays out, and um, and if, and if who gets the ball last in the fourth quarter, and things of that nature, who controls the clock, who's able to play at their game, who's able to play at their pace, who's able to do their job and, and play, and, and and play that game. So I'm I'm interested to see that. Definitely there, and and uh, two things that strike me first in this matchup, I differ from you. Um, either if if. Uh, Todd Gurley's healthy or not healthy. Bill Belichick's game plan is going to be stop number 30 in that backfield. Trust me. He's a game breaker. Um, Reigning AP Offensive Player of the Year. He knows the damage that Todd Gurley does. So, regardless if he's healthy or not healthy or, um, you know, if C.J. Anderson is running the football, they are going to try to stop that running game of the Rams because that sets up the play action and the creative and innovative things that Sean McVay as a play caller can do Mm -hmm. on the offensive side of football. Now, you hit two great things that you said about the Rams. And I agree with you. I believe Wade Phillips is going to take something away from you. You cannot let the Patriots offense get in the rhythm, run the football, throw the football, play action, shotgun, pistol, whatever they want to do. 
I believe that Wade Phillips is going to do something that the Chargers and the Chiefs did not do, and that stopped the football. Because you can't give Tom Brady options. You can't let him run the football and dictate tempo throwing the football. Brady, I've always compared him to LeBron as in terms of the greatest catalyst in dictating tempo. They can play fast and they can play slow. They can play no huddle and they can play in the running game. And I think what we've learned in the postseason here, Mike, is the Patriots aren't just finesse team. They, they don't just throw the ball around and sling it around like the Chiefs do 50 times um, and, and tell Brady to throw it 50 times. He can. He has that capability. But I, I think we've learned that inside of and in the trenches, up front, Trent Williams and, and, and others, uh, Trent Brown, per se, sorry, um, they can run the football and they can impose their will and beat people up inside, creating big holes uh, for the, the, the James Whites, for the Sony Michels and the Rex Burkhead to get going and I think that that's going to be key for Wade Phillips to take something away and I do think he'll take the run game away and then on on the opposite side on Wade Phillips side the the second thing to me that's going to have to happen the strength of the Rams defense is up front Brockers Aaron Donald the Hall of Famer that he is he doesn't have to play another down I believe he'll be a Hall of Famer Uh, uh, you've got Dante Fowler you got from Jacksonville and and, and, and Donna Kiksu you were once a great player as well Mm -hmm. so to me you brought in Marcus Peters and you brought in Talib. What's going to be key to me is for for the, the, the Rams to even remotely have a chance to win this is their secondary is going to have to hold up at least for four to five seconds to let the strength of your team, that pass rush, get to Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, as great as Brady is, and, and he and as Brady as great as good as Brady is, we've seen the blueprint to beat him. Pass rush and get pressure on him and beat him up. Now, if he's throwing the ball and releasing it under two seconds and your defense is not holding up, he's going to have a field day. So the key to me is Peters to leave in that back end. Can you hold up your end of the bargain and make Brady have to hold the football so you can let that pass rush, that fronted back pass rush led by Aaron Donald get to Tom Brady? Because if that's so, I think that the, chance, the Rams have a chance. And so the key to me is that secondary is going to have to hold up and let the strength of your team, which is the front four and the front seven, get home to Tom Brady. If those two things happen, the Rams have a chance. They definitely do, man. And and you write about those matchups on the outside with Tadeem and Peters and Roby Coleman. I like, I like to see one of the things with, with the Patriots, one of, one of the keys to beat them, and I'll get to the second point in a minute, but one of the keys is do you have the uh, – the corners to match up with them. The, they have the corners to match up with this team, not not only on the outside, but on the inside with Julian, Julian Edelman. Roby Coleman is a very good corner, and he, he can definitely stay with Julian Edelman, and uh, he, he's a better matchup for him than than, uh, than, than, the, than what, what, what the Chiefs were able to throw at him. And um, so, and Akeem Tlaib and Peters on the outside, as long as Akeem Tlaib is healthy and he's on the number one receiver, I feel like they have a legitimate shot. But here's another, here's another point that I wanted to bring up about the, about the Rams team. Brandon Cooks is a former former Patriot, right? Indeed, he is. He he he, he played in the Super Bowl last year. If if you notice, Sevy, the Patriots' losses this season came a, a, a couple of them. At least two or two or three of the losses this season came to against coaches or former players that that used to play with Tom Brady. First, That's right. the first loss was well, one of the losses was Detroit when they only they were held to ten points. Matt Patricia, the former. Defensive coordinator for the Patriots. The second, the, the second loss, another loss was um, Tennessee. It was Tennessee with Mike ba- Mike Vrabel um, and Deion Lewis, and then Deion Lewis. And I, I feel like Brandon Cooks is a big key in, in these next two weeks of preparation because he he's fresh. He knows this is just removed from last year in the Super Bowl. He knows a lot of Brady's tendencies. He knows a lot of Belichick's tendencies. So he he can he can definitely. Inform the coaches and inform the players about oh this little this thing these things little things that Brady likes to do these little things that, that Belichick likes to do and it, you never know. It could, and and it, you bring you bring a, a very interesting point because uh, about former players. Another one that 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 is is key here is Keith Talib. He it was instrumental in what the Patriots did going to the AFC Championship and and going to the Super Bowl in 2014 and beating the Seahawks um, there and helping them. Uh, win their fourth title. Um, he's instrumental in this game because he knows as a defensive player Tom Brady's hot reads. 
when 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 the blitz is coming and things like that. And so bringing that up is going to be very interesting as well. Mike. Right. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like the I feel like it's going to be a great game. It's, it's, it's definitely two two powerhouses. Uh, I don't I don't see a blowout on either side. It's, going, it's definitely going to come down to the fourth quarter, and it's, it's going to it's going to be those who can get off the who can get off the field on third down, who can play their their, their style of football, and who's the more physical team. We'll see. Well, you definitely see, and, and for Sean Payton, Sean uh, McVay per se, early on, this is your first Super Bowl. I think for him, he's a great coach to me, great offensive coach. But for me, I think for him, he's going to be tested mentally. He's going to be tested mentally in this game. Yep. Can you be patient? Can you be patient? Can you be patient? Because your time will come. There will be plays that, that that you know, the Patriots as a secondary will um, have lapses and, and give you opportunities to throw down the field. Can you be patient and not throw everything at Bill Belichick early or, or late? Um, I think mentally for him and Jared Goff, as young as they are in the Titanic stage like this, the mental effect is going to be key for them because you will be tested mentally. Ask Patrick Mahomes. For sure, exactly. You will you be tested mentally, and he's going to throw he's going to throw you off. He's going to, I want to see how patient Jared Goff is going to be as well. Is is he going to get the same pregame, not pregame, but early jitters in the game that that he had in New Orleans? Obviously, the crowd noise won't be as effective as it was out there. But you know, is he going to get off to that same slow start, or is he going to, is he going to come out firing? You know, it, it all depends on, on on who who sets the tempo and who gets the who gets to play their style of game, man. And it's gonna be a fun matchup because this, these are two high-powered offenses. These are two very solid defenses, and they they get to collab with each other. And special teams is gonna be key as well. Cordell Patterson for the Patriots, man. We we got to see if he if if he if he creates good field position for the Patriots, or if he breaks right. if he breaks one open for him or and, and scores. Or, We'll see. He, he could be a big difference for, for this for this game on on, the, on determining the outcome as well. Absolutely, there. A lot of things to talk about leading into Super Sunday in two weeks. Yep. We want to thank Mike here for being on the show live from Virginia out there um, and and filling in for Jerry Rojas. And we want to thank for all of our sponsors here: Spread Shop, Revamp Barbershop, the official barbershop here of the Sebi Podcast Show, alongside Haifa Hookah Lounge and Discount Tire Shop. V official partners of the seven podcast show and we want to thank folk, all of you for listening tuning in here until next time and this is Sebi's podcast